you're not nearly as concerned about building a wall between borders as you are about bridging the gap between heaven and hell so that people will know the name of Jesus Christ. That's what it means to be a good neighbor. This is All Things New with Pastor Barry E. Fields. One of the things that so compelled me uh, to come to this church just over six years ago was the heart that this church had to reach not just Hancock County, but had historically reached across the river, where that was with the former Tell Street Baptist Church through supplying literature, whether that was through the Candleton Mission in the 80s, or whether that was through the basketball leagues in the early 2000s. This church has always had a heart to reach beyond our borders. And so one of the things that has become iconic for me and I'm thankful that it's painted now because a painted picture looks way better than a rusted picture, has been the bridge. Because I believe that's true not just for our community to bridge the gap between Kentucky and Indiana, but I believe the gospel of Jesus Christ bridges the gap between heaven and hell, between God and man. And the greatest thing that we can do is proclaim whether you're rich or poor, whether you're black or white, whether you're young or old, whether you're American or not, the gospel is for you. And it changes everything. And so when we had the opportunity to take part in the only Southern Baptist Church in Perry County, Indiana, when we heard that it was closing its doors, that was the goal. For 19,000 people, many of whom were not actively involved in a church, or maybe had been at one time, but were not actively involved, to go and to reach them. We had no clue what the Lord would do. We started with a dozen people and we thought, well, if we do any worse than this, we can close the doors back or give it to the Indiana Baptist Convention. But with a dozen people, you know, you bring the praise band out there, that doubles the attendance automatically. So we thought, what do we have to lose? And God just has slowly but surely over time just taken the doors off the place. Every Sunday we reach 100 people. Every Sunday in a basement downstairs that is not set up for children's space or classrooms at all, at all, there are between 15 and 20 kids who weren't hearing about Jesus just a couple of years ago. And the only way that has been possible is through the sacrifice of Paulsville Baptist Church, through sacrificing your staff, through sacrificing your service time, which has cost us through sacrificing for activities, things that we could have been doing on this side of the river, but you were sacrificing so that we could do it on the other side of the river. It's the only way it's been possible. And now what, what we're asking you to consider today for the past couple of years as we've examined what God's future would look like for Crossroads, we've examined a couple of different things. What we know is if we keep things as they are currently, we will stagnate our growth because we're pretty close to the 75% capacity threshold we can get 120 people in there before it starts feeling too full. Another problem is the parking. Um, we can pave the parking, but what we've looked at with the estimates that we've gotten to pave that parking wouldn't really get us the net gain for the price that we put into it. And then the big question is on that two acres of land, which we paid a dollar for, I mean, it's been valuable. It's valued at 207, so we felt like that was a pretty good investment. We could potentially build there, but at the same time, we might cap what God is doing. And just for the last three years, pretty much every day, not every single day, many weeks, I've prayed for God's future there. Every time I drove by the old Tell City Junior High School, I thought, God, wouldn't it be wonderful in a community where if you drive down the street, so many buildings sit empty, so many commercial buildings, because we know times are tough. 
It's not easy to make a living. But in a building where every single resident from Tell City from 1960 to 2010 at one time set foot in that doors, whether they were a believer or not, wouldn't it be wonderful if the church of God could figure out a way to get in those doors and say, regardless of whether or not you show up to worship, when you do show up, we're going to tell you God loves you. And we're going to give you an opportunity, whether that's in a gym, through recreation, outdoors, whatever that may be, to sense and know the love of God. Well, the challenge has been over the last couple of years is how in the world will we be able to do that? It's a building that's too big for us. We can't manage that on our own. Utilities and maintenance and everything else would go through the roof if we couldn't figure out how to section it off. Until just a few weeks ago, when we were praying, Lord, what would you have us to do? And I don't remember which one of us brought it off, if it was in a staff meeting or a staff text chain, which happens more often than not, sometimes at 3 o'clock in the morning because Jacob won't go to bed. But at one time, we received that, and we thought, you know, we worship in a gym at Hallsville, and it isn't perfect here. I I know some of you would, would love to be across the street because you've got so many memories over there. You've done weddings and funerals and everything else. But you've been willing to sacrifice because you know that there's people in wheelchairs who wouldn't be able to worship with us in all likelihood if we weren't in here otherwise. There's people who might not feel comfortable in a church with a steeple who will come into this gym. And man, I will reach them in a creek. I will reach them in a cave if it just means we have an opportunity to share Jesus Christ. And so what we began to examine was, could we potentially move in the gym area of the school and use the surrounding basement classrooms, put in our our own HVAC, and it would reduce our square footage capacity from 76,000 square feet to 20,000 square feet, something that we feel like could be manageable. The bigger impact, though, is just the potential for people who have been through those doors to say, this is where you once met math, met science, you met music and everything else, and now we'd love for you to meet Jesus. He's worth knowing about. He's the best education that you'll ever receive. So what we're asking you to do today, we won't do any of this without bringing information before you. Obviously, it's the church of God that has to vote on this collectively. But I would just ask you, 1 to 3 o'clock today, would you come out to 3515 Mozart Street? It's directly across from the Perry County Golf Course. We've got it lined out to where if you walk through those front doors, there'll be a sign that'll lead you down the stairs. And would you just go over there, and if you do nothing else, if you don't like anything in there, if you don't like having to make the drive, if you don't like being inconvenienced, would you just go over there, and would you just pray, and just say, Lord, what is your future for Crossroads? God is using Hallsville Baptist Church to where we may not just be reaching 100 people for Christ across the river, we may be reaching several hundred. And those are not other people, folks. Those are our people. Those are brothers and sisters in Christ. And so I just pray, would you come out today? If you do come, the restrooms aren't working because the water's been shut off. So if you're going to go, go before you go, just to let you know ahead of time. Please come out. There's no pressure on you. One to three o'clock, it's come and go. Just pray what God's future would be. Say, God, if you're in this, will you provide? Luke chapter 10, verse 25. And behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And he said to him, What is written in the law? How do you read it? 
And he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, You have answered correctly. Do this, and you will live. But he, desiring to justify himself to Jesus, said, And who is my neighbor? Pastor quoted that passage a generation ago, and a little girl out in the audience called out, Mr. Rogers, he's my neighbor. I'm convinced that that is the second most important question in the Bible. The most important question is, who is God? About who he says he is, and then who is God to you? That he sent his son to die on the cross, that he's all-knowing, all-seeing, all-powerful, and if you'll come to him in repentance and faith, you will have the very purpose for which you were created, to have fellowship with him and to bring him glory. Who is God? But then that second question, Jesus says, is like unto it. Who is my neighbor? And how you respond will really determine everything about you because if you miss the answer to that question, it doesn't matter how successful you were. It doesn't matter how many accomplishments you have. It doesn't matter what they write in your obituary. If you miss the answer to this question, you miss it all. Because this question that the lawyer asked isn't asked in good faith. The question naturally creates limits. It sets boundaries and categories. It's not dissimilar to what Cain asked. He asked his brother. And they ask, where is he at? And Cain says, am I my brother's keeper? Just how much do I have to love? Who exactly am I really responsible for? Peter will say it in a different way later on. He'll say, Lord, how many times do we forgive? Seventy times seven? Jesus says, Peter, get your math right. It's higher than that. The least of these, my brothers, you have done it unto me. Brothers and sisters, the church of God can't afford to ignore poverty. We can't afford to ignore migrants or refugees or the homeless. We can't afford to ignore the criminals and the vagabonds and the outcasts and the rejects. Because the whole mission of the church is to say to them that there is nothing that the gospel of Jesus Christ cannot overcome. That the God of this world forgives the unforgivable that he redeems the irredeemable, and that he pardons the unpardonable. It's what makes the story so true is because you can't make anything like this up. The lawyer knows what it is to ask. He, he knows the two great commandments, put 600 of them together in the Old Testament, but you can sum them up in two. You've got to love God with everything you've got, and you've got to love your neighbor as yourself. But just who is my neighbor? Perhaps this lawyer felt insulted by Jesus because the rhetorical answer to this is obvious. Anyone who would have grown up in the synagogue, anyone who would have been trained by a rabbi, knew the answer to the question. And so maybe in an effort to say to Jesus, give me more, or let me show you exactly what I know, he leaves just a tagline at the end of an obvious answer. He says, who is my neighbor? But brothers and sisters, the best question is, 
who is not my neighbor? Because we can talk about family and friends, but the Bible goes even beyond that. It says colleagues, citizens, non-citizens, everyone. The Gospels, this is the Apostle Paul writing in Romans 13, 8 through 9. Owe no one anything except to love each other. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and any other commandment are summed up in this word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. James will say it well in chapter 2, verse 8 of his epistle. If you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture you shall love your neighbor as yourself you are doing well to live well is to lead well and to lead well is to love well because the great mission of the church is to love God with everything we've got and to love our neighbor as ourself and the answer to the question is whoever is in front of you and whoever you can reach, that's your neighbor. And it often happens in the most unlikely places. I tell people I've engaged more in restaurant evangelism because I guess I live there more than anything else. Last night at Subway, they gave me an order that I rang up. I went forward. It was a dollar less than what it was supposed to be. And I said, I think you've got the order wrong. They said, no, we just thought we'd give that to you because you're nice to us. And I was like, well, I'll be nicer if you'll take off another dollar. I went through the McDonald's drive-thru just the other day, and this lady said to me the cash register had gone out so they couldn't do your... Um, check your credit or debit cards, and I guess everybody had been mad at them, and I just happened to have cash on me. I never have cash on me, and I said, that's okay, and they said, sir, we appreciate you being nice to us this morning. Everyone else has been mean, and the lady who always smiles, I can't remember her name, but she smiles all the time. You know who she is. She said, you know what you are? She said, you're always smiling. She said, you're a female version of me, and I said, I don't know what to do with that, but I'm going to take it as a, as a compliment. I'm telling you, if you will love people, really genuinely love them, especially people that can't really do anything for them, the world will know the difference. And Jesus doesn't directly answer the question here. He goes into a, a parable that many of you are familiar with. He begins by telling a story. And he doesn't just tell a story. He doesn't say, help the friend you like. He doesn't say, help the guy that you went to school with or the person that you hope to get in with. He starts with the most unlikely person on the face of the earth. He says, a Samaritan. Heard of walking down the road. I mean, you can relate between Kentucky and Louisville, but a Samaritan? The person that I most despise? Because the rabbi didn't do anything. Man who walked by didn't do anything. Throw a prayer. Hope you get better. But the Samaritan stops and helps the Jew. Pays his way and he says, if you need more, put it on my tab. I don't know how that lawyer walked away, but I guarantee you he walked away with an answer he wasn't expecting. To love people who are not like you. 
This isn't the only time Jesus does this, though, is it? He does it in John 4 when he walks in the middle of the day to a well, and he's greeted by a woman of Samaria. The only reason she was there in the middle of the day was because she didn't want to see other people. Everybody else came at morning and night. It's cooler there in the desert. She shows up. He asks her for a drink intentionally, and she says, Why are you a Jew asking of me a Samaritan? And he responded to her, Woman, if you knew the water that I would offer you, you would ask me for a drink, and you would never thirst again. They go into conversation, and she says, Please, sir, let me go home. He says, Go and tell her. She says, I have no husband. Jesus says, you're right, you've, got five, you've had five husbands, and the, woman you're with, the man you're with right now is not your husband. And she says, this man knows who I am, and yet he loves me. And she brings a crowd. Because I'm telling you, you can be really bad at your job, and really bad at preaching, and really bad at everything on the face of the earth, but if you love people, you will be forgiven for a lot. Here's Jesus in the moment, looking around. You know, it's a tension for us, isn't it? I like to be a guy who's relatively disciplined. My mornings tend to be for for sermon prep or watching The Price is Right, whichever comes first. I like to focus in on that. And then the afternoons is meeting, visitation, whatever. Um, But the tension is between being disciplined enough to get done what you need to get done so that you don't fail to love your neighbor by being irresponsible and causing them undue stress and anxiety, but also being free enough with your calendar that you don't miss the people that God may have placed right in front of you. Because most of the miracles that occur in the ministry of Jesus occur when they were unexpected. Somebody tugs at his garment. Somebody lowers someone down through a roof. Somebody calls out to him and says, Jesus! Somebody on the cross when he's dying says, remember me. But he's always there in the moment. He's got times where he can't be available when he spends time with his father. He goes away to pray. But he makes time when he needs to make time. He's willing to let human interruptions become divine appointments. There's a documentary that came out not too long ago. I can't remember the name of it, but it's on... Bill Murray sightings. You know, the, the actor and comedian Bill Murray is known, if you look in the, in the papers or search it out on the internet from time to time, he is known for randomly showing up at the most unobvious places. He'll go to a ball game in Charleston, or he'll show up at a party outside London, or he'll be washing someone's dishes in a kitchen in Massachusetts. And what they did was they went through all of these people and talked about Bill Murray coming to this place and coming to this place. And they said what was interesting was it wasn't just the celebrity that was there. Like, he was very uninterested in himself, more interested in them. And they said the great gift that he gave them was he just wanted to karaoke. He just wanted to be part of the time. You can't even get a hold of Bill Murray because he doesn't have an agent. You have to call an 800 number that he personally has access to and hope that he calls him back. Sophia Coppola, who directed Lost in Translation, which won a bunch of awards that Murray was eventually in, said she had to call the number for a year before she finally got a hold of him. And then it was another few months before she got a meeting set up to where he agreed to do the movie. That's just kind of how he runs his life. But he makes an opportunity to be in the moment with people. 
with seeming strangers who become friends. I am convinced that this is the missing component in our society today. We've forgotten what it means to love our neighbor, especially those whose names we do not know. Because so much is based on trying to divide us, trying to get us going. Hear this. Love him or hate him, Donald Trump is my neighbor. Love her or hate her, Nancy Pelosi is my neighbor. And so is Jacob Johnson. Jesus doesn't even give you a free pass on your enemies. He says, love your enemies, bless them that persecute you, and pray for them that despitefully use you. You have to love the people who hate you the most. It's what makes the gospel so true. How do you love your neighbor when you love the telemarketer who's called me 15 times this week, even when I block their number? When you're polite to the waitress who messes up your order for the third time? When FedEx loses your package? When people in front of you don't know how to drive? Hey, hear this. When you're not nearly as concerned about building a wall between borders as you are about bridging the gap between heaven and hell so that people will know the name of Jesus Christ. That's what it means to be a good neighbor. And if the church will live this out, oh, what a world we will see. Rachel Denhaller's been in the news quite a bit over the past year. She was a U.S. Olympic athlete. She and several others were abused by Larry Nassar, their coach. Finally came out, finally put it on trial. And the interesting thing is he was being sentenced, the one who had done these horrific things to her and several other young ladies and minors. She began to tell him about everything that he had done, how it affected her. But at the end of it, she began to say, you know, when you go behind these bars, you're going to feel pretty miserable. You're going to question your life, and you, you may not even want to live. But she said, I want you to know this, that in the midst of all of that, there is a God who sent a Savior to die in your place. And when everyone else forsakes you, he will be there for you. That's the gospel. That's love of neighbor. There's a church in the Netherlands. I don't know what their political views are, what their denomination is, or where they stand, but there was a family in their church who were refugees that country had granted them I believe legal asylum and then it decided to change the law and so this family was going to have to go back they didn't know how they would all be split up and so forth and so on but this church decided to use an obscure law in the Netherlands that said it is illegal to interrupt for the government to interrupt a church service so here's what they did this little church for this family in need they held a continuous church service for 96 days. They did a rotation of different pastors and people coming in. They never stopped the service until the government finally agreed to, we'll look at this law, we'll look for a more humanitarian, compassionate way to do it. And they said it was one of the great times because people from all over came. Some of you here, 96 days. <laughs> I hope we don't have to go 96 minutes. That's the church of God reaching out. Who is your neighbor? 
who's not. Hey guys, thanks so much for listening to the broadcast. If you found it helpful, please consider sharing it with your family and friends. For more information, check us out online at barryefields.com.